0: Thank you so much for joining me on yet another episode of office hours where we learn what they don't tell you in the classroom about creating more personal one-to-one experiences for the folks that you want to do business with and continue doing business with on today's episode i have a very special guest i have the one the only scott brinker who many of you know as the father of the martech landscape infographic scott welcome to office hours. I'm so thrilled to have you today.
1: Wow. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if the introduction of, oh, you're the person responsible for that monstrosity that's been like driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so like, luckily I can't see the audience right now. So if they have pitchforks, I, I don't know about it, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if they have pitchforks, they can come find me as well too, because I think what you have created in that, that, that iconic piece of content for the marketing and selling technology landscape has really helped us understand um, what I'm calling the beauty and also the beast of what we're up against as sellers and marketers. But I'd love to just kind of like take one quick step back and understand, I don't even know this, where did this infographic come from? How did you Mm. come to decide that you were going to develop this for the marketing and sales technologies landscape?
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely by accident. Uh, Had had I known what this project was going to become, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to uh, uh, start down this path. But uh, it was around 2010, 2011. Um, At the time, I was starting to give more and more talks to senior marketers, CMOs about why they needed to hire more technical talent into the marketing department um and so i had put together this slide originally of like the first 150 martech vendors that i found mostly it's just like evidence like exhibit a of say look at all these tools that you're becoming dependent on you know to deliver the outcomes of modern marketing doesn't it kind of make sense to you know perhaps have some more people on your team who really have the expertise in orchestrating all these things and operating them And it had the exact effect I was hoping for. I mean, everyone, frankly, even me, I like looked at 150 different logos all on one side. It's like, oh, my goodness, like, this is crazy. In fact, I'm quite sure at that time, somebody immediately said, you know, this entire thing, it's going to (laughs) consolidate. So, (laughs) But yeah, it was trying to convince, you know, senior marketers that they have a lot of technology that they've become dependent on.
0: Yeah. Uh, And what I think is so beautiful about the time in the frame that you, in which you opened up our our eyes to how much technology was in the landscape, um, was right on the verge of what we're calling it, Alice, like the automation era, Mm -hmm. where we had realized like you could work smarter, not harder, and you could get tools to do your work for you and help you do that at scale. Um, and what you were trying to do, as I'm like, hearing you recall this, you're trying to help technologists internally get more advocacy for their needs to be able to connect data sets to one another. So I don't know how much marketing operations was part of the lexicon back in 2010, 2011, but it's one of the most critical hires that a marketer can make at this point in time, especially a senior marketer, because you need someone to help you with your data pushing and pulling into one centralized spot.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So there was uh, there were a few people back in those days. Um, you know, at the time, serious decisions was uh, starting to become a you know popular analyst group, uh, and there was one of the analysts who had sort of taken marketing operations under his wing. Boy, I wish I could remember his name. But he had this phrase he said once of like, okay, well. 2010 2011 marketing operations was kind of like the island of misfit toys it was like Absolutely. all this sort of miscellaneous stuff that yeah I guess somebody needs to get this done and you gotta do the budget and you gotta move the leads from this spot to this other but it was basically not glamorous it was not um revered you know as a source of like strategic uh advantage and I do think we've got into a place here now where a decade later um mm-hmm. Not every company by any means, but now a good set of companies have really come to recognize that being best in class at marketing operations is a huge advantage in a digital world.
0: Big time. Well, especially so at the latest glimpse that I took of your most recent understanding of the the MarTech landscape, we're at a whopping 8,000 or we have to, 8,000 is that for real? 8,000 new eight, pieces of eight, technology.
1: 8,000, eight, eight yep. Yeah. And uh, it was woefully incomplete, uh, as I know, because every time I finish these, I hear from all the people somehow I didn't discover. Um, yeah, I think if, uh, you know, to be honest, we haven't even like take, undertaken the 2021 yet, partly because just doing the back of the envelope math at this point, I am quite certain it's well over 10,000. Globally. And a, a, at some point, it's almost like, okay, the, the, the point has been made.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, you know, it's so funny because we go back in a time machine back to 20, 2010, 2011, and we're like, the world was full of possibilities and technology is going to help us achieve all of those. But to your point, about a decade later, and perhaps 10,000 tools now at our disposal, I kind of feel like we've we've hit the double-edged sword of having our so much technology at our disposal. Um, I called it earlier the, the beauty and the beast that comes from having all of this at our at our disposal. But I don't know about you, but I, I'm noticing how the automation era from the early 2000s is still alive and well here. But it's it's causing more noise. I, I don't find that it's actually helping to have anybody one any one company stand out in any given period of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot we can unpack there. Um, you know, so there was this fellow. Oh man, I've really got to get my memories like uh, fading on me. Uh, but uh, this fellow wrote a book called "It Doesn't Matter." Like, it doesn't matter. He was a Harvard okay. business professor. Like about. 17 years ago or something. It was basically he had done this research that showed for all the investments that companies made in IT, it didn't really create any sort of, you know, sustainable like pattern of competitive advantage for them, you know, and so it was kind of like, well, okay, I mean, the numbers don't lie, you know, and in some ways, I feel like there's the same thing that's happened with MarTech. I mean, companies have invested, a tremendous amount in building out these capabilities, you know, but I think it would be hard for any one company to look at and say, oh yeah, and our MarTech stack is why we're just completely crushing all of our competitors. But the subtext of that uh, book, it doesn't matter, was, okay, you can't look at this through the lens of how IT investments somehow like cause you to create a just breakthrough competitive advantage to your peers what you need to recognize it is that this becomes the new baseline of how business progresses. And if you don't actually implement this it's not that your business is just going to stay the same. Your business is going to drop and it's going to fail and we've seen this, you know, just, uh, you know, the churn, you know, Mm -hmm. in like, uh, you know, the fortune 500 and you know all those folks. Um, It's very real. And so I kind of look at MarTech a bit this way, which Yeah, Maybe it's a a bit of a crutch uh, because we should be demanding that we get better at this. But I kind of feel like, yeah, if you had a modern company that didn't have a good marketing technology stack in place, you know, for how it was, you know, managing the entire demand funnel and, you know, managing customer lifecycle, would they even be at all competitive today?
0: Mm, You know, that's so interesting. I mean, I'd like to think that they would be competitive because they have the imagination and the grit. And you know, the the work ethic of that, but um, I don't, I don't know. That's a really good question as you were talking to, as I was thinking about all of the different pieces of the MarTech, you know, platform available, I was kind of thinking of it as ingredients in a recipe Mm -hmm. and you can have a lot of the same ingredients and make hundreds if not thousands of different types of recipes but if you don't know what to do with those ingredients and you don't know how to extrapolate flavor or blend things together properly um, you could have a, a really complex poor tasting dish or you could use very few ingredients and maybe they aren't the best ingredients but you really know how to use them well to actually create a really beautiful full flavored dish.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I think um You know, at the end of the day, just given like a few basic things of like, okay, I have a CRM, you know, my web platform, you know, maybe I have a marketing automation platform for email, And just using those tools really well, already can like put you head and shoulders above a lot of competitors. I mean, so one of the things that happens with that MarTech landscape, every year we've done this, um, (laughs) which is why I'm not sure I can do it one more year in a row, Um, but we actually visit every single website of all of those companies every year oh, wow. to like, you know, make sure that, okay, this this is a legitimate thing, who's using it. Mm-hmm.
0: And as a result,
1: I have looked at 8,000 marketing technology company websites. And wow. the truth is most of them suck. I mean, it is just, <laughs> it is criminal. How many of them suck? Like they, I go to the site, I'm like, okay, I'm relatively up to speed on MarTech stuff. I'm reading your site and I still can't figure out what exactly you do or what the value is or how it, you know, and that's and that's crazy. And I don't think this is limited to just MarTech. I think, you know, right. I mean, in a lot of industries you still have people going through the motions of these, you know, digital touch points, but there's just not a lot of love or craft or, you know, like. Uh, that, that, that clarity, you know, and then when you go to a website where someone like clearly knows what they're, it's just night and day difference, you're like, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. I get it. I understand it. I, I, I want to take the next step. Oh, and here's where I take the next step. Isn't that convenient. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. The, the, the craft far outweighs, uh, you know, the tools.
0: Yeah, I would. I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I mean, I haven't seen all 8,000 that you have, but as I am looking around at competitors or I'm looking around for my sources of inspiration, some of the things that I notice is that despite the fact that we have 8, 000, upwards of 10,000 tools at our disposal, you'd think that we would be able to get a lot more personal with the folks that we wanna do business with. And technology has allowed us to go a mile wide But we're really only taking it an inch deep when in reality what we should be doing is yes, there's a lot of appetite. You should be trying to be disciplined, maybe not a mile wide, maybe a quarter mile, unclear, but you should definitely try to emphasize going that mile of depth in your relationships. And sometimes that resonates on your website and your positioning and how you want to be identified in the market. And other times this resonates with how you want to use, you know, a marketing automation tool to nurture your audiences or a sales automation tool for that matter.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a really fascinating way to look at that. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not pandering. I'm a huge fan of Alice, um, you know, and I mean, both specifically Alice uh, for a lot of reasons, but also the category. I feel like, you know, this sort of taking a fresh look at like, okay, how do we, how do we meaningfully engage people in a world where the purely digital volume, you know, has just reached such astronomic levels that it is really hard to in purely digital only channels, you know, like create this, uh, you know, relationship and this bond. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really exciting right now is we recognize like, oh, wow actually blending all sorts of things between like, you know, the physical world and the digital world and how they play off of each other. I mean, this is, this is a new playbook. This is a new space. It's a, it's such a great chance to like innovate uh, things that weren't even really possible that long ago. And so, yeah, I, I guess that's why I always get inspired that, you know, for as much marketing technology that's out there. Um, I still think that, yeah, companies can come in and they can come up with better ideas and better ways to do this and uh, it's inspiring.
0: I agree as well too. And what I think is so interesting and job security, maybe for, for marketers out here is the fact that like humans are always evolving and changing. And so too must your marketing to meet them where they are. And if marketers stop categorizing themselves as B2C marketers or B2B marketers, and really just realize that they're H2H marketers or human, human to human marketers, that completely transforms all the tools that you see that is accessible to help you accomplish your goal or to help further along the approach that you're taking in the marketplace. Um, I love that blend of the physical and digital. We actually did a series on it earlier called uh, last year, actually around this time called Let's Get Figital, where we <laughs> taught people how to take the physical and the digital. Uh, And yes, of course, we wore sweatbands and yes, of course, there were many nods to um, the the great um, Olivia Newton-John, but (laughs) what we were trying to teach (laughs) with folks is that we've entered a new paradigm, right? Like you enter a new dimension when you think only digitally. And then you think about, okay, how can I augment that digital experience with things that are tactile or in-person or physical? Um, and then use that and weave that together to build the full end-to-end personal experience for your consumers. Um, I'm curious like to pick your brain as well too, as you're watching this landscape and maybe you're just visiting their website, but the companies that are investing in, in building those one-to-one experiences, is that is that a new vertical you're seeing start to emerge? Is it a new emphasis that folks are taking? Or, are, or is there some still some education that needs to take place?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the challenges is just the terminology. Like um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, people have been talking about one-to-one marketing and, you know, personalization for now, like multiple decades uh, in this. Uh, And the reality is, you know, if you're all the, you know, uh, ink or digital bits that have been spilled, uh, you know, in the service of personalization, most experiences aren't that personal. And I I think part of it too is, um, I mean, this has always been one of the things that bugged the heck out of me with a lot of I hate to generalize but I'll generalize a lot of you know like personalization technologies particularly in the first few waves of my tech is that the, they were these algorithmic things of saying okay well given this data set of what we know people click on or you know correlation to you know purchase and then we have this other like corpus of you know content that's related to that and then we just feed that into the algorithm and it will spew things out that in some ways um, it, it it was, yeah, I mean, basically it almost gave marketers a set of permission to be like, yeah, well, let's just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. We got all this data here, let's throw all this content and, you know, uh, instead of what, you know, shoot them all and let God sort them out. It's like, oh, well, just, you know, throw it all out and let the algorithm sort it out. Um, and the fundamental thing of that is a lot of that content that got fed into those personalization engines was just mediocre or poor. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and I mean, kind of going back to, you know, like the example of visiting 8,000 websites, I would much rather a company has one narrative and they don't personalize it at all, but it's just a damn good narrative. I'm like, I get that. I love that. That works for me. You know, uh, if you're going to go down the road of personalization, I think that recognition that the quality of the individual experiences is is still paramount, you know, is a part that quite frankly, yeah, the personalization industry just didn't have a great track record with, you know? And I think, yeah, I mean, some of the innovations that, uh, you know, Alice has done, you know, really trying to understand, like really engaging the, uh, the, you know, the customer in this dialogue of what's meaningful to them, you know, uh, it's, I don't know, it just, it's, It's a way of getting to something that's going to be personal through the lens of the customer, not personal through the lens of the algorithm.
0: Yeah, I love, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna get that framed. I'm gonna send it to my whole team. I'm gonna send it to all of Alice because (laughs) you nailed it, right? Like it's, it's the good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. And who better to tell you what is personal and unique and interesting and engaging than the person who's on the receiving end of it. So wherever you can, invite them into sharing some more of that information and wherever you use that information well to enhance the experience because arguably there have been experiences where someone's like oh I see you have a guitar I'm going to send you every single guitar that's ever been made and like that's creepy that's weird like we don't want that (laughs) like that's not the end of the degree because just off the camera on this side you can see my surfboard like it's not what it's about is only music it's also about like just like chilling and hanging and having multiple parts of my identity. Um, I feel like
1: you've got some sort of like personalization test going on here. Like, let the personalization algorithm work with this. (laughs)
0: Let's see. What do you have here, y'all? But like, so the algorithm is so important for us to dive into, right? Because one thing that I remember too, um, around the time, like maybe 2015, 2016, we were all convinced that like automation was going to outsource our jobs, right? Like automation was going to completely come in and outsource marketers, sellers. We won't even have any need for them yet. But the problem is it comes down to the data points that you put into it and some of the syntax and context that comes into all of this. For example, I can see all the books on your shelf, you know, right off your shoulder. And so a follow-up gift for us might be a. Another book to help you not read about marketing technology, but read about something completely different from all the aforementioned or things in title. <laughs> or a book another bookshelf. <laughs> no. But like no algorithm could pick up on those nuances. No algorithm could understand the things that make you truly you. They they've tried, just the mar the Martech, um, the uh, sorry, the ad tech space alone mm. has been trying desperately to get that personalized. But the difference between personalized and personal is, mm-hmm. it's, it is, its yes, just a suffix at the end of a sentence, but it is the difference between a make it or break it experience for your prospects and customers.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right on with that. And I think this is actually one of the places too, where the increasing convergence and in collaborations between marketing and sales is really impactful too, because yeah, it, for a long time, it was just this, this division of Okay, well, when you ultimately want to get personal, it's going to be a salesperson who's going to, you know, manage, uh, you know, uh, directly uh, that way. Uh, And so our marketing would stop at the level of, you know, data-powered personalization. Um, But yeah, as you know, we realize that, you know, I mean, these buying cycles and, you know, the journeys people go on, it, it... continually blends back and forth between what we think of as marketing owned touch points and sales owned touch points and as marketing and sales start to really collaborate on those opportunities more like where can marketing empower you know the sales organization to like pull these really personal levers um, it just yeah it's I, I, I again as as challenging as I know this is for everyone I mean it just it feels like the world just isn't slowing down at all and you know that's mm-hmm. um, You know, this is definitely not a stress-free profession to be in because of, you know, just the pace of change. But on the other hand, I mean, like, wow, how many professions can you go into where literally, like, you know, every year that you're going into it, like, you have a chance to, like, rewrite uh, you know, the story, you know, create a new playbook, you know, take these little pieces of innovation that are, you know, happening in so many different quadrants of our world and like put them into, you know, a, a, a story and an experience that people are like, wow, that was really special. Um, wow. I don't know. That's, I that love that
0: is, stuff. I mean, and to that point, like that, I mean, going back to that metaphor we use, right, of all the ingredients and being able to cook so many different dishes. Like we as marketers have so many ingredients at our disposal, and really the only thing that limits us is our imagination. Um, but as you've done all of your research and as you're starting to see all the possibilities that's out there, have you noticed any uh, any emerging trends in the behaviors that reps who are real, or marketers who are really taking all of these ingredients and really imagining them? in, new, in imagine, uh, new possible ways. Are you seeing any emerging trends coming out of this about how people are differentiating, differentiating their approach to build experiences that are actually different or build companies that are actually really different or augmented?
1: Yeah, I think uh, marketing being a lot more supportive of what's happening, you know, further down in the experience. Uh, in fact, even further than, you know, the sales organization, uh, but the customer success, uh, organization, um, there's just so much opportunity, I think for marketing is particularly well-suited, particularly if they've got the right marketing ops people, you know, if they've developed this um, you know, capacity, you know, for managing the tech stack portion of this, you know, they can really bring a lot of empowerment to the sales and customer success organizations in impacting, you know, the, certainly the close of a deal, but then also, yeah, the 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 ongoing relationship with that customer and how it grows over time. Um, and so I think companies who are orchestrating it that way um, you know i know one of the things that's become popular is you know the concept of like you know uh you know chief revenue officers or revenue <laughs> operations tying this together um uh, i think both of those are great approaches but i i also see companies that haven't necessarily put that formal umbrella over it but they've created in a uh, more of a kitchen cabinet you know collaboration you know between marketing sales and cs that um yeah, is, is, they're just doing a better job of it. I mean, at the end of the day, customers are like, yeah, I really enjoyed working with that company, Yeah, I love them.
0: Yeah, so if I were to summarize some of my key learnings from today's conversation with you, Scott, um, a couple of things really stood out to me. The first of which is, it's why we have so much technology at our disposal. It's not the technology itself that's going to make any one company that much more effective at reaching their audiences and meeting them where they are. It's what you put into that technology that makes or breaks your ability to get your and amplify your messaging uh, and bring that up and out. The other thing as well too is that last point that you brought up and it sounds a little bit like the companies that are thinking about their customers even before they've become their customers and are managing that end-to-end experience of that customer journey and looking for those inflection points to enhance or augment that experience with something new. Oh, hi puppy. <laughs> uh, I, hope, I hope everybody was okay. It looked like he stumbled out. <laughs> uh,
1: sur- surgery for the dog, yes. <laughs> or cone as he's now lovingly referred to. But.
0: <laughs> Not the cone of shame. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Poor puppy. Uh, But speaking of experiences, hopefully that pup had a pretty good experience or is is on the the road to recovery. He's on the road to
1: recovery.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, But the companies who are thinking about their customers and their experience and are looking for the moments to really intercept with the physical and the digital, both, the combination of both of those, that's what's going to elevate that experience. And whether you call it a revenue-centric team or whether you continue to keep it more siloed in the way that it traditionally has been, it as long as you are thinking you're due north of your customers, that will always help guide you in the right direction.
1: Yep. I wow, you, you said it far more eloquently than uh, I could. Um, and I think the good news is, Yeah, I mean, there are still a lot of companies out there that just don't do that really well. uh, Mm And, you know, and so if you commit to doing it well yourself. um, I mean, you, you, there's so much opportunity to still stand out. um, And yeah, I think that's such an inspiring opportunity.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your wisdom, and most importantly, for the last decade of all of the research and all the manual work you have done to help us as marketers and sellers understand that it's not about how much you have in terms of technology, it's how you use that technology.
1: Well said. Uh, Thank you so much for having me as a guest
0: oh my gosh the pleasure is all mine if folks want to reach out to you or download this resource of that martech landscape where can they find you where can they find this asset
1: all right i uh, the blog is chiefmartech.com, uh, and that's chief without an h at the end long story we'll save that for another time uh, uh and i'm also at chief martech on twitter if you want to reach out with a specific question but uh,
0: Phenomenal. Again, Scott, thank you so much for sharing with us your time and your energy and for teaching me on this other episode of Office Hours. Have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You too.